If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have the faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. And it's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil. But rejoices with the truth. It always protects. Always trusts, always hopes. Always perseveres. Love never fails. Kingsgate, thank you for that welcome. Thank you for the welcome. It's great to be with you here live in this room and also with you joining us in our different Kingsgate centres. Welcome to you as well. We're bringing this series, our Love Is, from 1 Corinthians 13. We're bringing it into land. And look, wherever you are on the journey of faith, wouldn't you all agree that that description of love is just beautiful? I mean, it's sensational, actually, isn't it? And actually, if you forget for a moment, just for a moment, that it's actually part of the Bible, just to take it out of the Bible for a moment, and I've noticed that when this happens, particularly at weddings, but others besides, when this was read at the royal weddings quite recently, I remember people, um, friends of ours actually, who noted it, and they didn't realize it was part of the Bible. They were like, wow, where did that come from? (laughs) That's absolutely beautiful. Well, it's in the Bible, actually. But I also saw that this same paragraph was, um, you know in tube stations they have these notice boards for service updates. Very occasionally there is no service updates. And so a tube worker, who's obviously a Christian, had written on the words of 1 Corinthians 13. You can see it here on the screen, there's this uh, beautiful sort of depiction of love in the middle of a tube station. And I walked past this and I saw commuters stopping and taking photos of it, you know, snapping it to post on social media, as if to acknowledge, here's something beautiful. Right? Even if you don't believe the Bible, you have to agree this is just completely beautiful. In fact, you'd have to agree that the reason it's still causing a sensation at royal weddings and stopping commuters in their tracks is because for 2,000 years, for all of the advances of technology, we haven't improved on this stuff. You can't improve on this stuff. This is inspired by the one who knows what love truly is, for God is love. And so this bit of love poetry is actually embedded within a much larger love story. The true human story is a love story that traces its origins back to the God who is love from whom we have come. We've come from a good place. If you're a human being here, I'm assuming most of you are, you have come from a good place. We're made in the image and the likeness of the God who is love. And before any of us were around, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit loved each other in perfect, glorious union. And out of the overflow of their extravagant love, this world was born. Now, I know there's also scientific explanations to be had, but that's the theological explanation for why we're here in the first place. A little bit like if, um, if you have a child and they are too young for the birds and the bees explanation, you might explain to them when they say, why am I here? Why am I part of this family? Well, one explanation, a very honest and accurate explanation, is that dad loves mum and mum loves dad and that's why you're here. <laughs> 
Well, the explanation theologically for why we are here is because the Father loves the Son in the perfect union of the Holy Spirit, and that's where we've come from. (laughs) Now, that's a very positive way of understanding what it means to be a human being. We're made in the image and the likeness of the God who is love, and this passage then awakens in us as human beings, it awakens in us that original intent of God, which is that human beings should bask in the beautiful love that God has for us, and then we should share that beautiful love with one another. That's what a flourishing human being is to be like, one who receives and reflects the love of God. And I think that's why this beautiful description of human love, which is also also immediately the love of God, this This paragraph stops commuters in their tracks and is sensational at royal weddings 2,000 years on precisely because it awakens in human beings, if you like, the sort of memory, the deep memory of where we've come from and what life was meant to be like. And this passage almost offers us a way back through to that original plan, which is that we receive this beautiful love and we reflect it to one another. Would you like to restore something of that in our world? Well, then you need to become part of this love story through this love poetry that inspires us to live this kind of life. And let me compare it this way. I was um, in Exeter Cathedral a little while ago, and um, in Exeter Cathedral, if you've ever been there, there's some beautiful artwork and um, craftsmanship on the roof, on the ceiling. Um, But it's painful to walk around the cathedral for too long like this, right? (laughs) Pain in the neck. And so they've kindly provided, for for a pound, you can hire some trolleys that you push around the cathedral, and they've got a mirror on them, right? And so you can see at a nice, comfortable angle all of the beauty above reflected below. Now, if you're looking for a cheap thrill, I recommend pushing a trolley around a cathedral. It's only cost a pound. What a brilliant thing to do, right? That's the kind of thing I'm up to these days. Anyway, as I was pushing this trolley around the cathedral, I was thinking to myself, maybe that's a helpful illustration for how this passage is meant to work. The the beauty of God's love is meant to be reflected through our lives as we love one another. Now that picture helps us unpack this passage then. We receive and then we reflect the love of God. So let's think about that under a couple of headings, but first, let's pray. Because I don't know about you, as I think about the challenge of that, reflecting the beauty of the love of God as I love other people, I find that for my own family setting and church setting and community, I find that a real challenge. Anyone else? To actually reflect the beauty of how God has loved me to others is a profound challenge. This is the way 1 John puts it, 1 John 4 Beloved, since God has so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We also ought to push our little trolley out into our relationships and reflect to one another the love of God. Well, that's a big challenge, and for that we should pray. So here's a little prayer that I crafted, because I found preparing this message really challenging. And so I wanted to pray. When I feel challenged, I think one of the best ways to resolve that is to pray. So here's a prayer you can see on the screen that I'd like to invite us all to pray together. And it's simply this. Are you ready? Lord, you are the perfect love that I need. Heal my brokenness. Drive out my selfishness. Fill me with your love so I can love others as you have loved me. Amen. 
Amen. Well, with that in mind, let's look at two ways in which we are to reflect God's love. Firstly, because love is unconditional, it believes the best. Because love is unconditional, it believes the best. Or the phrase this is picking up on from 1 Corinthians 13 is this simple little phrase that the Apostle Paul has. Love always trusts and always hopes. Now, as has been noted in this series, we've got one word for love. And it's kind of a large umbrella term because it houses several ideas. And they're not all the same. And so at the time that the New Testament was written in, in the Greek language that it was originally in, there were a number of different words for love. And the early Christians, because the reality of God's love is so different to human loves, they had to repurpose an existing word and use it in a new way to capture the love of God. It goes something like this. There were other words, right? So one of them, the, the human physical love of eros, which is this idea from which we get the word erotic, it's romantic, it's sexual, it's physical kind of love. Now here's the point. There's nothing wrong inherently with this kind of love. It's a good thing, but it's inherently conditional because it's an attractional model. I like or love you because of what I see in you that I want and want to enjoy, right? Now, the point here is it's conditional. And so if the object of my love changes, my love for that object may change because it's conditional upon it. If the body shape changes or if a better looking model comes along, erotic love can come and go. And actually, it's part of the reason why there are so many broken hearts in the world, right? Because this kind of love is very fickle. I mean, as a trivial example, I remember at university going to a few karaoke nights at the Students' Union. Not a good thing to do. I'd prefer to push a trolley around a cathedral, to be honest. But um, anyway, I remember going to one karaoke and seeing my friend at the time. He's a good friend, and, and he was... Um, you know how karaoke nights sort of nosedive off a cliff into sl sort of slushy love sort of songs towards the end of the evening. Well, he was dancing with some girl and they were singing that Whitney Houston song, and I, I will always love you, right? The thing that was funny was, a week later, we were at karaoke again, and he's singing the same song to a different person. <laughs> and you think, <laughs> how can you in the space of a week tell two different people, I will always love you? That's, that doesn't work, right? That's the kind of way in which this love is so inadequate. And then, in addition to Eros, there's filial love, which is this sort of friendship love. It's the kind of birds of a feather flock together. It's the kind of love that works. If I, well, if you're like me, then I can like you. But, but notice again, it's inherently conditional. If, if you're like me, I can like you. If, if you vote the same way as me and support the same team as me and like the same things as me, we could get on really well. But if that was to change, if I was to discover something about you that I don't really like anymore, this love also breaks down. And so none of these words are sufficient to capture the love of God. The early Christians used a different word, agape, which is this Christian selfless love that God has for us. And here's the difference. It is unconditional. That is to say, God loves us not because of us, but because of him. Does that make sense? And isn't that, I mean, that's a mind-blowing difference when you get it. When, when you, if you were to ask the question, why does God love Andrew Ollerton? Well, my encouragement would be, don't look to Andrew Ollerton for an answer to that question. He doesn't love Andrew Ollerton because of Andrew Ollerton. He loves because God is love. And that's incredibly securing for Andrew Ollerton. Because that means the love that God has for me is not up for revision 
and it's never in question because it depends on him who does not change rather than me who always changes. Now turn that back to yourself, right? Why does God love you? Well, don't look to yourself for the answer to that question. That will screw you up in all sorts of different ways. No, no, look to God. God is love. And his love for you is therefore never going to be in question. It's unconditional. It doesn't depend on you, but on him. Now, isn't that the most profoundly securing love a human being could know? Doesn't that root us in something that utterly transcends both our own performance and our personal circumstances? Whatever happens in my life, you can be assured of this, the unconditional love of God will remain unchanged. That is an anchor for the soul. Now here's the logic, follow this carefully. Because God's love is unconditional, love can therefore believe the best. That's what Paul's saying here. Love always trusts and always hopes. God's love looks upon us through the lens of that love and instead of writing us off when we fail, he loves us through the failure and out the other side. Isn't that glorious love? This is the kind of love then that instead of being a conditional love that will eventually say, I've had enough. You know, this is once too often, I quit. No, no, what does Paul say? Love, agape, Agape never fails. This is a love, as the hymn writer puts it, oh love that will not let me go. It's a love that holds on to me even when I'm, if it was only conditional, it would have a long time ago let me go, but this love will not let me go. Now we see this with the Corinthians. They were, at the time of the New Testament, they were the worst possible church you could imagine. They were completely dysfunctional. And yet how does God relate to them? They're drinking, they're getting drunk on the communion wine. They're suing each other. There's prostitution within the church and their level of division makes Brexit seem pretty low-key. And yet when the letter of 1 Corinthians is written to this church, well, I was thinking to myself, actually, before I get there, I was thinking, how would I have written a letter to that? I mean, what would, what, how would my letter have started to the church in Corinth? What would I have said? Cut it out, you know, <laughs> to the church of God in Corinth. You're, a, you're pathetic. Snap out of it. But the, the love of God always trusts and always hopes. And so how does the letter actually begin to the church of God in Corinth? Grace and peace to you from God our Father. That's the unconditional love of God. And because it's unconditional, it can believe the best. It can summon us out of our stupidity and our nonsense by never giving up on us, but calling us to live in a higher way. Now, isn't that wonderful love to experience? We receive this kind of love. God loves me not because I am beautiful, but precisely because he loves me, he can cause me to become beautiful. It's a love that takes hold of that which is not and makes it into something. Now, here's the point. What would it mean for us to push our little trolley of this kind of love, God's love for us that we've received, to push it out into this world and our relationships? I believe this kind of love can change the world one person at a time. Amen? It can, well, what is the mission statement of Kingsgate Church, right? Let's say it together. Transforming lives from our neighborhoods to the nations by the power of God's love. This love is powerful to transform lives because in a world where people feel so incredibly written off and it's critical and cynical and people can feel that they're suppressed under a blanket of discouragement, this love always trusts and always hopes. 
And it can summon people out of that failure and into a new trajectory of their lives. I mean, let's be honest. Behind the veneer, behind the image, behind the attempts to manage ourselves and social media profiles and so on, there is something about our human condition that is acutely aware of our failure. But this agape love can cause failed humans to feel like they can flourish again. I mean, I was uh, watching a, a clip, actually, that a friend had sent me on YouTube, and it was, uh, I really encourage you to watch. It was the story of a 16-year-old boy who'd flunked his, his exams, and he had no prospects and no hope in life and nothing to do. So he's sitting with nothing in his, his mum's beauty salon with nothing to do, and there's a woman there who is a Christian, and she feels the love of God stirring in her for this young man who's nothing. And she she goes and speaks to him and she says, young man, I believe that God loves you and he's got his hand on your life and he's going to take you all around the world. And she began to prophesy over him and you're going to impact millions of people. Well, that young man was Denzel Washington, the amazing Hollywood actor. And he has a clip on YouTube. I'd encourage you to watch it. I think 15 million people have now viewed him bearing witness to the fact that that kind of love changed the course of his life. And now he's witnessing to many other people saying you should put God first with this quality of love. Love can change the world one person at a time. And so we are called, having received this love, beloved, since God has so loved us unconditionally, when there was nothing in it for him, he loved me anyway. So love one another. Push our little trolleys out into the world and reflect this kind of love. Now I know this is happening here in Kingsgate. I've seen this. I mean, I felt this. I know this is the case. And I think of many stories of lives turned around, transformed by the power of God's love. I think of a good friend of ours who turned away from God and his family and responsibilities, left the church and gave up on it all. And if all we had for people was conditional love, well, then we would have given up on him as he gave up on this. But that's not the way it works around here. Amen? We've got agape love that never fails and doesn't give up and always hopes and always trusts. So I know many of the team, pastoral team and many others, wouldn't let that go and and pursued in a beautiful way and stayed faithful and loyal and that man's life turned around and with it his family and now part of the church and serving again. And I just think, well, that's what love can do. That's the power of God's love that transforms lives. Amen? Now, That's the sort of love that we need to push out into the world. There's enough cynicism and suspicion in this world. What we need more of is this agape love that always trusts and always hopes. And when we invite that love into our world, we create an environment in which those who feel like they've failed can flourish again in Jesus' name. And I want to encourage us on this front, particularly in our relationships within the church now, I want to encourage us That just as God views us through the lens of his love for us that always trusts and always hopes, we need to be disciplined in viewing each other also through that lens. Because when we've been around God's people for a little while, it's possible to become a bit over-familiar, even a bit complacent with what God is doing in our lives. And we can start to relate to each other, not through the agape love of God that always believes and hopes, but we can just get a bit familiar and reduce each other to our natural state. That's not a good thing, amen? We need to have that discipline of calling to mind, of summoning up in each other 
the work of God in our lives that we might rise up to our future, not be brought down to our past. I think of um, a small group, that, a life group that we led here in the church, and it was very exciting as these different people initially, very exciting, came back to the Lord, and, and, uh, and then in phase two, you might say, we just became a bit over-familiar with each other, a bit used to the story, and began to relate to each other, not in that lens of agape, but just in a, in a way that was over-familiar. And I remember one occasion, Charlotte, I think it was, who, who said kind of spotted this and said instead of this we're going to start the evening by just going round and each saying what we see of God's work in each other in each person and I tell you that changed the atmosphere because as we began to articulate and speak out that which hopes and trusts and believes the best in each other something well the lid was lifted off and something broke again from the over familiarity to the sense of agape love at work That's a very special thing. We need to cultivate that in our relationships and not take each other for granted. Because love is unconditional, it believes the best and it summons us, as we share this love with with one another, it summons us to live up to the high calling that we have in Christ. So can I encourage you, this week, think of this as our homework. How can we love someone as God has loved us? An unconditional love that speaks faith and hope over a person's life. Maybe there's someone in your world who behind the image and the defense mechanisms is feeling written off and failed. What a difference it could make if this week we pushed out a reflection of God's love into that life and saw fresh hope awaken. Amen? Firstly then, love believes the best. And secondly, because love is sacrificial, it endures the worst. Love believes the best. And secondly, love endures the worst. Have you ever had that experience where you thought you knew what something was, and then you had the real thing, and you realized that you never knew what that thing was? I mean, let let me explain. I remember thinking I knew what a pasty was because I'd had a Ginster's pasty from a petrol station, right? And then we moved down to Cornwall, and I remember this uh, dear lady, a Cornish lady, making, to welcome us, she made a homemade Cornish pasty. And as I bit into that proper job pasty, right, I, as I experienced the real, I realized I never actually knew what a Cornish pasty was, right? I had a Ginster's, but this was the real thing. I think of this with Jaffa cakes. I thought I knew what a Jaffa cake was, right, because I'd had a packet of a few of them. And then I remember going to a very posh dinner, and for dessert, they served Jaffa cake, which was not out of a packet. It was this extraordinary orange sponge with chocolate. And as I tucked into that, I realized I never knew what a Jaffa cake was. Now, in the same way, the Bible would say, until you've had a certain experience of love, you've never really known what love is. You you may have had a Ginster's version, a packet version, human loves, but until you've experienced The love that comes to us from the cross of Jesus Christ, the sacrificial love of Jesus, until you've experienced this, you've never really known what love is. Or as 1 John 4 puts it, this is love. This is love, not that we loved God, but he loved us. And he gave his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. The phrase in 1 Corinthians 13 that all of this reflects is where Paul says this kind of love, this kind of love 
bears all things and endures all things. Now that love is ultimately defined and displayed in what Jesus Christ did for us at the cross. And so this Easter time, let's remind ourselves actively now, let's remind ourselves of how much God loves us because the love that he displayed in the cross is the extent and the measure of his great love. And until you've had some kind of experience of this, some kind of vision of the love of Jesus in the cross, you don't really know what love is. This is love. He endured all things for us. Think of the physical suffering that he endured because he loves us. All that Jesus went through on the cross was because he loves us. No one put him up to it. No one forced him into it. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Think of the endure, what he endured physically in his sufferings. The, the, even the process of being flogged, where the Roman soldiers had leather thongs with bone and metal embedded into them and lashed the back of Jesus. Even that process was enough to kill a man, and he endured it for us. But then he carried the cross as far as he could. And then he was nailed to the cross. Six inch nails smashed through his hands and his feet as he was impaled and pinned to a Roman cross. And then lifted up over a mocking crowd in the busiest and hottest hours of the day from nine in the morning until three in the evening. Jesus Christ hung in excruciating pain and agony on the cross. And he did it all because he loves us. Meditate again, Come visit again Calvary and the cross of Jesus and get there a true experience of what love is. This is love. And that's only the physical suffering. Then at 12 noon, darkness descended, cosmic darkness descended on this dying son of God because in these dark moments, He entered the spiritual suffering. There the one who had eternally known the love of the Father, there this love was removed from him and darkness fell. The Son was rejected. In our place and for our sins, he entered this cosmic darkness where he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, the terror of this moment is in part a result of how deeply The father and the son loved each other. And and you will know if you've had this experience that the closer someone is to you, the more painful the wrench is when that love is pulled away from you. There's nothing more psychologically traumatic for a human being than to have the closest person in their lives that loved them pull that love away. It's utter agony. And here, times that by millions as the son had the pulling away of the father's love and he was left in the darkness. The lover utterly deserted and abandoned. And he did it because he loves us. He loves us even in the darkness. I mean, the translators perhaps struggle to do justice to this because it sounds too horrible. But the phrase is probably not that Jesus cried out, my God, why have you forsaken me? Literally, it's that he shrieked it. Like someone shrieking in the darkness The Son of God loved us as he shrieked out in the darkness, utterly abandoned on the cross. And 1 John says, and this is love. This is love. Not that we loved God, but look at him loving us and sending his Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. What extraordinary love 
God has for human beings like us. And the cross defines it and measures it. And then we can sing out of that incredible truth songs like this. I love this beautiful hymn. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Doesn't that start to move your heart? Lord, if you've loved me like this, forgive me for being so proud. I want to push out a reflection of this sacrificial, dying, shrieking love of the Son. I want that love to be reflected in my life. Amen? Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, except in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things, there's such vanity that charms me most. Well, I sacrifice them to his blood. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that would be an offering far too small. Love, so amazing, so divine, demands my soul and my life and my all. Or as one John puts it, dear friends, since God has so loved us, we ought to love one another. Well, isn't that a challenge? (laughs) To receive the cross-like love of Jesus, and somehow to reflect that, pushing out that love into our relationships. How do we do that? Well, firstly, notice in this cross-like love, agape love makes the first move. This is so important. Please take this in now. Agape always makes the first move. We didn't love God. Even though we were in the wrong, we weren't the ones who reached back out to him. Whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So this agape love never waits for the other to sort themselves out, but makes the first move. I wonder what that means in our marriages and families. I wonder what that means in our life groups and church relations and out into the workplace. Imagine if we were the kinds of people who actually reflected the beauty of the love of Jesus and pushed that back out into the offense. When we are offended, when we are let down, that our response is to push back to that incredible love of Jesus that turns enemies into friends. Amen? Agape makes the first move. Agape bears the wrong of the other. What does Paul say? It it bears all things. It takes up the offense that the other actually has and carries it as if it's their very own. That's what Jesus did for us. The darkness was my darkness. The sin was mine, but he bore it as if it was his in order to take it away from me that our relationship might be restored. How could we push that kind of agape love back out into this world? Well, I remember speaking to one lady who came to church because she was a um, trainee medic and she'd made a, a mistake at work that fortunately didn't cost anyone their life, but it was serious. And she had a boss, the doctor, who was a Christian, and this doctor who knew the love of Jesus, had absorbed the trainee's mistake as if it was his own and reported back to his boss and taken the flack. And this woman came to the church that the doctor also attended and she came and she said, for this reason, she said, I've had plenty of bosses who've taken the praise that I deserved, but I've never had a boss who took the flack that I deserved. Well, isn't that the love of Jesus right there, right? Isn't that the sacrificial love of Jesus that pushes back out into this world an agape love that turns situations around. Dear friends, since God has so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So can I encourage us in our relationships? Firstly, 
to display and reflect a love that is unconditional, that believes the best. To create an atmosphere around us in which failed human beings can flourish because they're not written off in their failure, but they are called forth in agape love. And secondly, to display the, not just the unconditional love that believes the best, but the sacrificial love that endures the worst, that pushes out into our world the very love that the Son had in the darkness on the cross and turns hate into love and enemies into friends in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.